Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a hand. God, you're good. You're mighty to be praised. Jesus, you're good. You're mighty to be praised. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, worship team. You know, I really believe it, you know. Um, as we look at things online, as we watch videos, whatever it may be, uh, we will see things that, you know, maybe we've never seen before, unless you are uh, perhaps in a medical field, or the military field, or you're in a mortuary, I guess. But um, as we see this content online, can we adopt the posture of, of followers of Christ? Don't curse any side. Don't speak hatred into any side. Don't let that spirit of bitterness and hatred take root in your heart. But as you see these contents online, just pray into it. Pray peace. If not for them, pray peace over yourself. Pray peace over yourself that, God, I don't fear. I don't fear that you pray for the spirit of power and love and a sound mind over yourself and over the situation. Amen, church? Can we do that? Can we speak life as Christians? Can we speak life in the situation? Can we carry Jesus with us and speak life into the situation? Because like it or not, if you don't care what's happening in the Middle East, I need to tell you, everything that happens in the physical always happens in the spiritual. So likewise, in our lives, when we see chaos in our lives, when we see fights that grows out in our lives, whatever it may be, everything that happens in the physical always manifests in the spiritual. Everything that happens in the spiritual always manifests itself in the physical. So everything is spiritual, friends. Everything is spiritual, and all we need to do is wake up. Wake up. We need to wake up to the truth that everything is spiritual, that if we slumber for a moment, if we sleep for a moment, you know, we've got to fight this spirit of slumber and this fight this spirit of sleep and fight this spirit of complacency that everything doesn't matter, prayer doesn't really matter, reading my Bible doesn't matter, coming to church doesn't matter. We need to come against this spirit to say, hey, everything is spiritual. We really, really need to wake up because like it or not, like it or not, the end times is near. There's an urgency for the end times. When you see what's happening in the Middle East, there's an urgency for the end times that, right, like, like it or not, we've got to pray that, hey, people come to know Jesus. You know, people come to know Jesus because if what happens if tomorrow you're no longer in this world, where will you go? Where will your loved ones be? Where will your loved ones go? We've got to pray that, hey, it's urgent. And that's why, you know, oh, okay, this is not my sermon, but uh, we've got to pray that, hey, our spirit, we need to wake up you know, when I first uh, I heard about the war, I couldn't sleep because I know something within me because I really, I study the Middle East a lot and I, 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 I study Middle East and prophecy. So when you see some things happening, I, you know, my mind goes a little bit crazy, you know, putting things together. But in my spirit, I go, wow, you know, church, we've got to wake up. We've got to start praying. We've got to start praying because, hey, like it or not, what happens if it is in Southeast Asia? What happens if it is Malaysia? And we want to pray, there's peace in Malaysia, amen? But what happens if it's, if it's here? Are we strong enough to stand up? Are we strong enough to be as a church? Are we strong enough to rise up and start praying together as a church? It's too late if, if we only rise up when it happens. We've got to rise up now. There's an urgency, my friend. There's an urgency of the times. We nearly need to have the urgency for the times. And I really wish I could go into this. Um, but I, I really need to talk about 1 Timothy 6. And like it or not, it's a little bit similar. So today, my sermon is, what is your main story? Actually, I wanted to title my sermon, are you, do you feel the urgency or not? You know, I really wanted to go, do you feel that urgency or not? The urgency to rise up, to pray for your family. All right, if, you, if Middle East is too far away, 
Pray for your family. Pray for your loved ones. Pray for ah, your friends, whoever it is. There is an urgency. But today, along the same lines, is what is your main story? And I, I preached it before, and, and I thought, hey, I want to continue it because I really like this tagline, what is your main story? So today is part two. And, yeah, okay. Today is part two on 1 Timothy 6. I'm going to touch a lot on 1 Timothy 6, but I'm going to summarize um, 1 Timothy as the book um, because technically speaking, this is the last chapter of, of 1 Timothy and then we're going into 2 Timothy already. So it's, or, it's quite urgent for me and I, I saw a link in 1 Timothy towards the whole book of, of 1 Timothy, first, uh, chapter 6 according to the whole book of 1 Timothy. So I really want to talk about it. I want to read it, but today I will read it because I want to narrate a little bit and I want to punctuate certain things uh, and to bring that to your attention because after that, I won't talk about it in my sermon because I have three points uh, to talk about. So here we go. 1 Timothy 6. This is the final chapter of the book of 1 Timothy. These are the things you are to teach and insist on. So Paul is talking to Timothy here and he's saying, Timothy, these are the things you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching... They are conceited, and understanding is nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, and evil suspicion. So if in your heart right now, you really like, you know, conspiracy theories and everything, you know, t- you know think about it. Think about it, you know. <laughs> this, is, you know this is what Paul said, not me, all right? Um, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Let me stop here for a little while because I won't touch about it much later on. You know, it's very clear in the Bible that we are here as a church, not for financial gain. Your godliness is not for financial gain. And of course, I know, and I don't want to bring it up, that of course there are people and, you know, past, there are examples of people that use Christianity for their own financial gain, but it's very clear in the Bible that our godliness here is not for financial gain. So in case you somehow come in here to think, or whoever's online listening to this, you think you want to be a Christian because you want to be rich, let this verse remind you that Godliness and being a Christian does not equate to riches of this world. If you are rich, hallelujah. If you're poor, also hallelujah. Because our Christian faith, our godliness is a means to Jesus Christ, not for financial gain. Let me continue. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So it's not, the, it's not money in itself, it's not the object in itself, but it's the love of the object. And by the way, you can replace money with a lot of things. It is the love of computer games that, that distracts you from the things of life. It is the love for power and position that would drive you to lie, cheat, steal uh, to, in your company or whatever it may be. It's the love of sex that will cause you to do crazy things in this world, right? So it's not just money, but here, money seems to be on the top of the list. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, we don't know who, some people, (laughs) eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, and I really like this, but you, men and women of God, flee from all this. 
Flee from the love of the things of this world. Flee from the love of material things that hold you. Flee from the love of money. Flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is the salvation call. This is almost like a baptism, which is why it's very important, Christians, that you are baptized because in your baptism, there is always a declaration of your faith that I, Isaac Gling, accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and personal Savior. I declare to the whole world that I belong to Jesus. All right, give me Jesus. You can take the whole world, but give me Jesus. There's a declaration in that baptism. All right, and, and that's very important. So if you have not been baptized... I encourage you to, 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 go, to go for baptism. There's one at the end of the year. That's correct. And I guarantee you there will be at least six or five more times uh, next year that SIVKL will always hold. So sign up for something. Get baptized. Verse 13. In the sight of God, who gives lives to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which God will bring about in His own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to Him be honour and might forever. Amen. God is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light. You know, there's a lot of questions that I want to ask God when I go to heaven. There's a lot of questions. This is actually one of them. I don't understand that God lives in unapproachable light. Just think about it. Light is light. You cannot approach it. You can't see it. But then you are with Jesus in heaven. I don't get it. But if you get it, you let me know, okay? <laughs> Anyways, that's a fun fact. You know, as I go into my verse, what I want to highlight is, um, I, I'm still pondering it as I read. I keep going, unapproachable light. So it's the light of Jesus, but I can't approach it. What does that mean? I don't know. I'll, I'll ask him when I go to heaven, right? He'll, he'll tell me. He'll tell me. This is, these are um, eight times the word godliness is repeated throughout first, the book of 1 Timothy, all six chapters. And I want you to know that throughout the whole New Testament, there are only 15 times the word godliness is used. Only 15 times. And eight of them is found in the book of 1 Timothy. So that's why I want to talk about godliness a little bit. Eight of, which means 50% of the word godliness is found in the book of 1 Timothy. So it must mean something that as we're studying the book of 1 Timothy, God is trying to say something to us about godliness. And it's, if you want to count 2 Timothy, the whole book of uh, 1 and 2 Timothy, there's only nine times. So it's only mentioned once in the book of 2 Timothy, which we'll study in two weeks' time, about the form of godliness. And that's very interesting, right? A form of godliness. But because it's mentioned 50% of the word godliness is mentioned in the book of 1 Timothy, I want to highlight this to all of us so that we understand the importance of the call and the command for all Christians to be godly. It is not an option. It is not a by the way. It is not a request. You know, Jesus didn't say, okay, if you're free, you know, if you have time, you know, why don't you try to be godly? But if it's too difficult, why don't you, you don't have to do it so often. It's not a request. I like it in the whole book of Timothy. Paul uses the word, I charge you, I command you. These are not options. 
These are a commandment to be godly. Let me run through this very quickly and then I go to my points. The first one is the most pertinent of all. As I read it, I went, wow, it really speaks to our situation right now. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 to 2, it says, I urge then, first of all, that request, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. That's the first time godliness was used in the book of 1 Timothy. You know, it's really, it's really interesting because if we don't believe in praying for government, and right now it's not about political parties, it's just praying, praying for the government and those in authority, and God already said, pray, pray for them, that they would have wisdom, that they, you know, intercede for them, that you thank God for them. You know, it's, you know if you don't believe in whatever political party, it's very difficult to say thank you God for them, Right? Okay, whatever it may be. But God says, it doesn't matter. He, he never mentioned any political party here. He just says, as long as they're in power and they're in government and they're kings, thank God for them. Why? As we, we approach God with, with the spirit of blessing, a spirit of thankfulness, a spirit of contentment, God says, they will give you peace that you may live godly lives, that you can live a life of godliness and holiness. You put yourself in the Middle East right now. Put yourself if you never prayed for them, and, and whatever's happening in the Middle East is happening, and you're one of them, it doesn't matter which side. You are gripped with fear. You are gripped. You've got to run away. You've got to run away from your homes. Whatever it may be, how do you live life godliness with godliness and holiness? That's why it's important, First Timothy said. That's why, Malaysians, we've got to stand up and always pray for our king, pray for our government, bless them, thank God for them. You may not, I don't know if you like them, don't like them, does it matter? No, just say thank you, God, for our prime minister, thank you for the cabinets, thank you for the, those in authority, because when we thank you, Lord, somehow the Word of God says they will usher in a peace. Why? So that we can have a church to be godly, to be whole, to worship right? So that we can have uh, cell groups, where we can have connect meetings, uh, connect groups so that we can come together, fellowship and pray and worship and live a life of godliness and holiness. Is it important? It is. It's very important. So let what is happening today be a resounding warning to us that if we don't, as Christians, wake up and rise up to pray, then, okay, then we'll leave the then to then, okay? Uh, second one, 1 Timothy 3.16. Jesus is the mystery of godliness. And the mystery of godliness is this. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. That's the second time. The third time, and I really love this. This is the last time I was here. I talked about this. 1 Timothy chapter 4. God, Paul says, or, or God says, train in godliness. And then it says, godliness has value for all things. Then it moves to chapter 6 to says, doctrine unto godliness, which means that you need to have true doctrine to have true godliness. That's why the whole book of Timothy, chapter 1, 2, 4, and 6 says, flee from false doctrine and don't get entangled in false doctrines and controversies. Next one, godliness is truth. Next one, godliness and contentment. And then lastly, Paul ends, pursue godliness. And that will be how I end my sermon today. Pursue godliness. You know, with godliness being resounded so many times in the book of 1 Timothy, we've got to ask ourselves, what is godliness? What is godliness? All right? Is godliness coming to church every day? You know, do you have to be a full-time worker to be godly? Well, like that, I, I, and my first prize or second prize? 
you know, all the full-time staff will be fighting for first prize, right? <laughs> like, what is godliness, right? And here I define it in my last sermon. I just want to reiterate it today. What is godliness? It's actually found in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Godliness is, are these things before you. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Godliness are these things before you. Is that all right? And let me just run through it. Godliness is be an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. You know, just before this, Paul says, do not let anybody look down on you, Timothy, because of your age. And I know there are a lot more next-gen here compared to the other services, and I'm going to speak just to the next-gen. Do not let anybody look down on you because of your age. And it doesn't matter if you're 15. It doesn't matter if you're 12. I saw a few kids that I think are below 10 worshiping in front, and I go, wow, they can teach us a thing or two about worship, right? right? I went, don't let anybody look down on you because of your age. But there's a caveat to it. Just because you're young doesn't mean that you don't allow anybody to look down on you. you only, this only applies if you live a life of good example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. The call that Paul gives Timothy, who is in his late or early 30s, when he was leading the church of Ephesus, is do not let anyone of any age look down on you as long as you live a life that can be an example of your speech. So you got to have good speech. you got to have good conduct. you got to have good faith. you got to have good love. And you got to live a life that is pure. Next gen, I'm talking to you. You have got to live a life that is pure for Jesus Christ. What is purity? There will be another sermon because it will be way too long, all right? But you got to live a life that's pure. And I guess it's not, it's not just a next-gen thing. This is an every-gen thing. Just because we're older, <laughs> that it's probably 90 years old, you know, of course in Asian culture, we will always give you respect. You will be always give honour and respect because of your age. But like it or not, if you want to command spiritual respect, spiritual honour, there also has to be an example of your life that is of speech, conduct, love, faith and purity. It's not just for the young, it is of all generation. And that is godliness, that we train for it. Next, you got to read scripture. Obviously, the source of your godliness is scripture. Next, you've got to, now I know I'm a preacher, so I'm going to say this with myself in my mind, but uh, I'm, I'm not preaching. I'm going to say it today for Pastor Chiu and Pastor Luchu. They're preachers, all right? You've got to learn from them. You've got to learn from their preachers and teaching. I like it in some place. Devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching. You know, I really like it. Devote yourself. You know what it means to devote? Like either, you know, as a man, you only devote your life to one woman. That's devotion. But then, you know, Scripture says, devote yourself to the teachings of God. Okay, it doesn't matter if the preacher, teacher, or apostle. Te devote yourself to the teachings of God. You must devote yourself to teaching. Practice your gifts. Do you know, as I look around here, we've got a thousand people in our midst. We have a thousand talents and skills and gifts amongst us. I want us all to imagine that all of us here, we use our gifts for the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. I cannot imagine what that would do to impact the kingdom. Practice your gifts even if it is just the gifts of encouragement. Some of you have that gift, you know, that gift of natural encouragement, you know. And you know, it doesn't really, it doesn't really come naturally to me. I, you know, I had to develop it, I had to train, I had to say, God, I, I would like, you know, uh, when I open my mouth, I want it to be edifying, I want it to be encouraging. I had to pray for it, just so you know. Just, just because I can talk a little bit more doesn't mean it comes naturally to me as well. And as, as I go along in life and as I pray for it, I think God has given me a little bit of it. But some of you... You have just the gift of automatic encouragement. You can look at a person and, and, and open your mouth and say five words and a person will think that he's the king of the world, right? That's your gift. Use it, especially on me. 
use it on me. I thank you. I, I receive this gift, right? Use this gift. I mean, it would benefit and it would glorify and it would edify the body of Christ. Whatever gift you may have, use it to edify the body of Christ. Now, I really like the last two. What is godliness? Oftentimes, we Christians think that godliness is just, hi, I pray one time, read Bible one time. But it says here, you know, godliness, there is a progression. There is a maturity to godliness. You have to watch your life and you have to persevere in godliness, which means that if you started out as a Christian, hypothetically, one year ago, and if you were living in whatever sin that you're living in, okay, if you're swearing, let's use, words, let's use swearing. If you, can, you must swear one swear word every sentence that you utter. One year later, as you progress and you mature in your faith and you train in your godliness, you decrease from one swear word every sentence to now one swear word every paragraph. I don't know, right? Something like that. There is a progression. There is a, there is a getting better. There is a maturity in your faith. And so, so I, I, I just got to implore some of you. Don't be stagnant in your faith. Don't be complacent in your faith because our faith is not a game. Our faith is not a checklist. Our faith is our life. We need to mature. We need to progress, right? For example, if you started out in cell as a cell member, there is a progression. You need to be a core. For those who fear being core, you need to be a core. For those who are called as a core, now you need to be a cell leader. As a cell leader, you need to be a zone leader. As a zone leader, who knows? You're called to be a pastor. Come and speak to Pastor Chiu, Pastor Lee speak to me, speak to all the pastors here. If you have that calling, speak to the elders and council, we will pray for you. Who knows? My point is, there is a progression. You know, last time when I was a younger Christian, I honestly tell you, I, my prayers was lock, stock, there's a standard prayer, there's a template one. My prayer got template one. So if, you, if you, your prayers are templatized, you would, you would you understand me. When you sit at the dinner table and you pray, it's thank you Jesus for this food. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, that's, that's the best template in the world, right? That means that's the template. Then you open up your Bible, say, thank you, Jesus, for this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, it's a template. But you know, as I grow older and as I mature in my faith, as I progress, there's nothing to do with my pastor title. Even before I was a pastor, I go, God, I need to learn how to pray. I, now, I'm, now I'm asking God for a different thing. I don't only just want to pray anymore. God, I need to give me a spirit of intercession. I need to learn how to intercede for people. I mean, I'm still young. I have a long way to go in my, in my faith. But I want to progress. I want to mature. And that's my imploration to you. What is godliness? There is a progression. There is a maturity. So wherever you are in your Christian life, ask God right now, Holy Spirit, speak to you. What is your next step of maturity? You know, I said it in the last sermon I preached. And I want to say it again today. Do you know that the saying that God will bring you from glory to glory, God will bring you from season to season, that saying only applies when you are progressing in your faith. You know, you think about it. I want to go from glory to glory, all right? So 40 days, I read one chapter a day. When the 40 days is over, I rewind. I backtrack to zero chapters a month, all right? I backtrack. And then you say, God, take me from glory to glory. God says, you cannot even take the second step. You, you, you take one step after 40 days, then you take a step back to zero. And then you say, God, give me from glory to glory. God says, you take one step. And then once you read one chapter a day, don't stop there. There is a progression in your faith. Now you read 1.1 chapters a day. How about that? All right? 1.2 chapters a day. I don't know what your mathematics are. All right? Just read something. Right? 10 verses. Now it's 11 verses. You memorize one scripture a month. Now you memorize two scriptures a month. Whatever it may be, there is a progression. That is why when we say we will take, God will take you from glory to glory means that there is a progression of your faith. 
You are going from one step to another step. I used to attend one prayer altar a year. That is the anointing service in the beginning of the year. Hallelujah. Okay, good, good. Now we progress. One anointing service and one prayer altar. But there is a progression. That's how God will take you from glory to glory. God cannot take you from glory to glory if every time you take one step forward, you take one step back. Then technically speaking, the scripture should be, God will take you from glory and then when you reverse, to the same glory again. And when you reverse, hopefully you get to the same glory again. And after 25 years, hopefully to the next season of glory. So church, what is godliness? There is a progression of your faith. There is a maturity of your faith. Amen? Now I want to do a little bit of a competition between this service and the next service and the next service. We've got three services here, right? You know what? First service, you're in my heart. Second and third service, you're also in my heart, of course, of course, if you're listening. But first, come on, S1, you're in my heart. I want this service to grow in spiritual faith that when we pray in tongues, the music is off, this whole auditorium will be filled with tongues. When we worship, if the music is off, this whole auditorium will be filled with worship. That we, when we come to first service, that everyone will lift up holy hands without anger, lifting up holy hands in worship. There is a progression. And I pray that in this service, there will be a maturing of this service, wherever you attend this service, that we will usher in the presence of God here. You know, that's, that's really the cry of my heart. That here, when we pray for healing, there will be, people will be healed. That here, when we call for altar call, people will come. And people, there will be repentance. That's just my prayer. There's a progression, not only with our faith, but also with the church as well. Amen? This is really not my sermon, honestly, I, I tell you. I got fired up a little bit, okay? Um, that is godliness. What is godliness? These are godliness. Watch your life. Persevere. Okay, I'll take a two-minute intermission from my sermon again. Can I share something else with you? You know, I was, in, I was in Miri Revival. Who was in Miri Revival? The Barrio uh, or Tribal Gathering? Oh, hallelujah, so many of you. So good, so good of you to join us there. Who watched it online? Equally good, equally good. Who watched it online? Wow, even more of you watched it online. Very good, very good. Okay, it's good. I, you know what's my favorite part of the whole Tribal Gathering? This, I, 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 every part is good. Every part is by God, but I like one part. I've always, I, you know, I've always, I've always had a heart to meet the original, you know, revivalist in Barrio. You know, the, you know, the people that really experienced it. So at tribal gathering, there was this, there was this only Ibu, Maria, and all the, the, the revivalists from Barrio, Taginambo, and Bakalalan, they were on stage. If you remember, they were all on stage. Of course, they are only 25 years old right now. No, I'm kidding. They're, they're, I don't know. They're 75 and above. I don't know exactly what the age. They're li- huh? They're 90. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> they're 90 years old and above. But I tell you, when I see that picture of all of them standing on stage, you know what I prayed? There's a prayer I prayed. When I saw them, I says, God, I want at 90 years old to be able to say that I fought the good fight, that I could stand there like one of them, like a hero of the faith, and say, not because I raised people from the dead, not because of what, all these miracles that I did, hallelujah, if I do them, who knows, but because I kept the faith, I persevered, I watched my life, that's what I want. When I go and see him again, I say, God, I don't want to go to Jesus and say, sorry for the thousand sins that I did. I want to go to Jesus and say, thank you for forgiving me for the thousand sins, but I kept the faith. I kept the faith through it all. And that is our heart, our pastoral heart. All the pastors here have the same heart for the whole church, that we will keep the faith. Don't let a small little thing derail you from your faith. Ah, yeah, a small virus derailed. 
okay? Whatever it may be, right? One little war, derailed from your faith, all right? Didn't finish the Bible reading plan, derailed from your faith. I don't know. I'm just kidding. But don't let whatever it is derail you from your faith, you know? You know, when I was... Yeah, okay, okay, let me stop there. I'm going to continue my sermon. I cannot end, all right? But that really touched my heart. And I want to pray that we will persevere in our faith. And who knows, one day, all of us here, when we're 90 years old, you know, we'll celebrate you, celebrate together and say, hey, we kept the faith. We kept the faith. That's all that matters. Our spiritual legacy to our kids. Son, I kept the faith. Son, how about you? That's my prayer for my kids, okay? Let me move on. I want to I say this. Godliness is gain. Right? Right? For it says in, in, in one of the godliness, godliness has value for all things. It has value for all things. And I, I wish I, I put this in a slide, but I put it in my notes, but I forgot to put it in my slide. And, and, and the note says this, spiritual workout will reap you eternal rewards. But physical workout will only reap you physical rewards. And it will only last you for a lifetime. How long can you have your six apps? Yeah. Okay, how, how, how long can you, you know when I was 21, I really did have six, six packs, I tell you, my, I really did, you know, but now that I'm 39, I, I have one pack, I'm very proud of this one pack, and I, I keep telling my wife, I pray this one pack, don't get bigger and bigger, alright, that's my prayer, that's the reason why I go into 40 days of fasting just excited, so this one pack, this don't, just don't enlarge, this is my prayer now, it's different, how, like, no matter how much you train your guns, no, no, biceps, all right? Not guns. Biceps. You know, you, like, no matter how old you are, you, you lose it. Arnold Schwarzenegger is not what he is when he was younger. That's just about it. So when he says in the Bible, train in your godliness, because God is trying to tell you that when you train in godliness, you will reap an eternal reward. It is value for all things. You know, when you read your scripture, it, has, it is, doesn't just reap you rewards on that little moment where you read. You know that when I memorized scripture when I was younger, you know sometimes when I go into spiritual warfare in my personal life, whatever spiritual warfare it may be, all right, do you know that when I don't have my Bible with me, all these scriptures come back to my mind? It comes back to my mind, and I use it as weapons of warfare. So godliness has value for all things. Who knows when you are you're doing something in your family, or you're having a problem at work, or you're having a problem with your health, all these scriptures will come back to you. All your prayers, altars will come back to you. Do you know that training in godliness also includes, like I have a, a small little prayer, young adult prayer and campus uh, prayer leaders that I'm, I'm training up, and I, I always say one thing to them, that when you start this this training with me, you pray in tongues, one minute feels like an eternity to you. But as you go on every week, training, praying in tongues for 10 minutes will feel like a very short time. And sooner or later, praying in tongues for 30 minutes, sooner or later, like living in the presence of God. Half an hour is too short. You got to go for an hour, then you go for two hours. And all these trainings, I just told them today, all these trainings, don't think that it's going to waste because it will spark something within you. And one day, it will, be, it will birth something beautiful that even I don't know. And only God will know. So training in godliness has value for all things. Don't give up coming to church. Don't give up become, you know, joining a cell group. Don't give up coming to altars to pray. Don't give up reading your Bibles. Don't give up. Don't stop now, because godliness is gain. And then there's another saying that I like. Contentment is great. Don't you think? What is contentment? That I'm satisfied, that I'm happy, 
Good. It's good to be happy, right? It's good to be contented. For example, if you have a, a nice cup of coffee, I'm contented. Hallelujah. It's great. Those who don't have any contentment and you, your whole life you are living in discontentment, we will pray for you, okay? Because I know it's stressful, you cannot sleep, it will manifest in some physical ailments, whatever it may be. Contentment is great. But the Bible never said godliness is gain and contentment is great. The Bible says that godliness with contentment is great gain. It's not just gain. It is great gain. I tell you what this means. You know, when you, when you, 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 you are training to be godly, but if you are not contented with your house or your money, now this passage is all about money, okay? You're not contented with the car you drive. You're not contented with the shirt that you wear. You're not contented with the food you eat because you want more, you want better, all right? A steak from Malaysia is not good enough. You need a steak from New Zealand. Then it's not good enough. You need Kobe steak. Then it's not good enough. You need YU steak. Then you need YU A5 steak. <laughs> if you can afford that, Invite me to your house, okay? <laughs> you know? But so there's no point being very godly and you're discontented with life. Because as I was praying for it, God said, the moment you are discontented with what God has given you, how godly can you be? How satisfied in Jesus can you be? How, when it's, the song says, give me Jesus, you can have all this world. Really? really? You sure you're going to sing that? Give me Jesus, you can have all this world. I, I, I don't need to eat the best rice. I don't need to eat the best steak. I don't need to eat the best, whatever it may be. I'm content. I don't need to wear the best clothes. I'm contented with what I have. And that is why Jesus says, you cannot be godly and discontented in God at the same time. You cannot be. You have to choose one or the other. If you're godly but discontented, how godly can you be? If you're contented but not godly, what is the purpose of your life? What is the purpose of your eternal life? Nothing. That's why the Bible says, godliness with contentment is great gain. We've got to train to be godly, and we've also got to train ourselves to be very contented with what God has given us. And that's why competitions and comparisons and strife happens all the time. You know, when I was a younger Christian, like really younger Christian, like in my 20s Christian, when I see a great man of God, there is this thing inside me that I go, man, I, I really want to be that great man of God, you know? But when I was young, I didn't understand the difference between envy, jealousy, and uh, I don't know, whatever, competition maybe, comparison maybe. But as I grow and I mature in my faith, now when I see the men and women of God, I no longer have that, I have the same urge because... The eagerness to be godly is always a good thing. But I no longer feel like I want to pull you down for my own gain. You know, if you, know, you know that feeling? I no longer feel like I want to compete with you. Like, for example, I'll give you a good example. Like uh, Pastor Aaron. Where's Pastor Aaron? He's a worship leader. He sings great. He's a great worship leader. He's a man of prayer. He's a man of God. He's a man of integrity. Really love him as a brother. So when I look at him and look at all the gifts that God has given him, I'm contented with myself. And I pray he's contented in himself too. That I no longer, when I look at him, I no longer have to compete with him. I don't have to compare myself with him because God gave him that talent. He's got a talent to fast and to pray for three hours or no. Don't play, play. I only had the talent to pray for two. <laughs> I thought that's good enough, you know? But I go, wow, I want to be more like you. So now I look at all these great men and women of faith and I go, wow, I want to be more like you. I'm contented with who I am. But I have holy jealousy to be better in my faith. Godliness with contentment is great gain because it will give you value for all things and you will, have, you will reap an eternal reward. 
But if you cannot see beyond eternity because it's difficult, then I tell you one thing, it will reap you an earthly reward. There's one earthly reward that I pray all of us Christians will have because it's in my heart that godliness with contentment will reap you a spiritual legacy for the generations that is to come. It will reap you a spiritual legacy. So if you cannot see for eternity, because none of us can, then see that when you are godly and you are contented with who you are in Christ, that this is what God has given me, I don't have to be who I'm not, then your children, your physical children, and your spiritual children will be able to look at you and say, I want to be that too. I want to be that too. Your physical, and I, I really hope I leave that for my sons, you know. That my son look at me and he says, I don't want to be a, okay, hopefully they're taller than me, hopefully they're more good looking at me, well, all, all this lah, yes lah, okay. I, I hope for that for my sons too. But I hope out of all these things, they will say, I want to be my, like my daddy because my daddy loves Jesus. And I pray that for all of you too. That when your spiritual sons and daughters look at you, they will look it up to you because they will look at you and say, I want to be like you because you love Jesus and you have something that I want in my life. My discontentment, it is not because I'm discontented in Christ, but because I'm discontented because I want to be more like Christ. That will be holy discontentment, which I don't have time to preach today. Godliness with contentment is great gain. But let me finish. What are we godly for? What are we godly for? Or another question I want to ask is, what is your fight? Do you know that if you don't know what you are fighting for in this life, you will very easily give in to the spirit of slumber and the spirit of sleep. And that's why the theme for this month is wake up. Wake up, church. Because if you don't know who you're fighting for, I guarantee you, in the fight in the Middle East right now, no matter who you ask and whatever side you ask, they know what they're fighting for. I read every piece of news. When I go to this side, it's very clear, this is what they're fighting for. When I go to this side, it's very clear, this is what they're fighting for. When you ask the Americans, why are you helping? They know why they're fighting for. They know, they listed it very clear. Blinken did. When you go to Iran or Iraq or, or Turkey, they would know what they're fighting for and it's very clear in a manifesto what they are fighting for. When you are clear with what you're fighting for, you fight. My point is not about, a, it's not a political speech here. My point is just to show you that there is a war because both sides know what they're fighting for and they just cannot get along. But when we do not know what you're fighting for, it is when you've already lost the war. You know, in this life, friends, you are in a fight for your faith whether you know it, you like it, or you don't especially the next generation. Do you know that AI, as much as people cheer for the, for the advancement of AI, I see 20 things that the church that I have to pastor in the future will have to fight because of AI. And if you don't know what I'm saying, good for you. You don't have to know. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. And I go, wow, there is a fight that comes up against children. Do you know that I was talking to somebody recently that a 14-year-old kid is already engaging in physical acts in school? That's the fight that we're fighting for in this generation that we do not understand. Do you know I was talking to a 15-year-old boy and he says that I'm being bullied in school and that's why he's a shy boy with low self-esteem and I go, this is the fight that we're in for. That if you do not know your fight, you have already lost the fight. 
because you don't know what you're fighting for. You don't know what you're, what you're gripping onto. Do you know that what the church is fighting for post-COVID is the spirit of slumber. It is the spirit of sleep. It is the spirit of my lackadaisical faith, that I am not urgent in my faith. I don't have that passion for my faith. That is the fight that is coming against every Christian in this world, whether you like it or not. So what is your fight? And it's very clear in 1 Timothy 6. We fight the good fight for our faith. That is the fight. We're not called to fight a physical war. We're not called to go and riot in the streets. That's not the calling in the Bible. But we fight the good fight for our faith. There's so many people that I know, and I'm sure you know, that has fallen away from the faith. And that's why my cry to God is, give me, a, give me a, the gift of, of, of intercession. Because I want to know how to intercede for these friends of mine that has fallen away from the faith. That is the fight that I'm in. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We are here in this church because all of us here, we have made a good confession of our faith. We did. We said the salvation prayer. We were baptized. We said our confession of our faith. Now in that faith, fight for your faith. Do not give up in this fight. When you're scrolling through social media, whether you see violent things or sexual things, that is already a fight. And if you give in to both, you have lost the fight. Don't lose the fight. Know to whom you're fighting. Before you come to church and you had that thought, or cell group, and you had the thought, oh, I don't have to come to church today, I don't have to come to cell group. Why every time I have to go, you know, so lazy, you know, that's meaningless. That's a fight for your faith. The enemy is trying to rob you of your faith. And this generation, no matter how old or how young you are, you are in for a fight to maintain your call. And now I ask you Christians, what, is, what are you fighting for? What is your calling that you're fighting for? Because I know to my calling to what I am fighting for. At least in this season, I have many things I'm fighting for. I tell you one thing that I'm fighting for. I'm fighting for a generation my age and younger that will have the excitement, the passion, and the gumption for Jesus Christ that no matter what comes your way, you will never give in. No matter hell or high water, no matter a virus or a war, that there is a faith among the next generation that would rise up and you will stand for your faith. That's the fight I am in. I want to fight for my generation and below. And I know no matter how old you are, you stand in the gap for your generation because we cannot afford Christians to just be lackadaisical for your faith. That is how people fall away. That is how people are angry with church. And, and they, they have all sorts of accusers, accusations towards the church. Whatever it may be, we cannot afford to not know what our calling is. I am clear with mine. What about you? I'm clear with mine. I'm clear that this year, when I pray, I have one objective. My main objective, I have many prayer items, but I have one main objective, that God will send a revival in the next gen in this church right here. That is my main objective when I pray. I know. I know. Do you know what a revival would look like in this church? A revival would mean that every seat will be filled with people hungry for God. You are hungry for the presence of God. 
That is what it means. It means that evangelism is, is our lifeline and our blood. We don't have to talk about evangelism because you naturally want to tell people about Jesus. That is revival. Revival is when we worship, we don't want to stop because we just want that presence. That's revival. And I tell you, that's one thing on my mind and one thing that I'm fighting for in this church. I just dedicated last year, this year, and who knows how long God will put me in this fight for until He brings me to another season. What about you? What's your fight? Because if you do not know what's your fight, then Christianity is just a side quest. What is your main story, church? So if you play video games, you would know there is always a main story in a video game and there will be side quests. You want to finish the game, you finish the main story. Whether or not you finish a side quest, it doesn't matter because you would have finished the main story, you would have finished the game, you would have completed your objective. And there are some computer gamers, when they play, they just want to finish the game. They just want to know the story. So they would just do all the main story to finish the game. There are some computer gamers that, I will finish the game, but I will do every single side quest along the way. Whatever category you're in, or there are some computer gamers that have never played a computer game in their entire life. That's okay. That's all good. But my point here is, have you relegated Jesus to be your side quest? Jesus becomes optional to you. Church becomes optional to you. That I chase my career. That is my main story. If cell group comes in my way, too bad. If church comes in my way, too bad. Because career is my main story. For some of us, it is boyfriend, girlfriend. For some of us, it's probably family. For some of us, I don't know, it's the A5 why you stick. I don't know, whatever, whatever is your main story, okay? whatever it may be, all right? What is your main story? But I'm telling you right now, I know the fight that you are in. The fight you are in is to keep your walk and Jesus as your main story of my life, which means that as me as a Christian, I will walk with Jesus and I will never give up. I will never turn to the left or to the right. If something else comes in my way, that's a side quest, which means that career is optional. You have to earn money, by the way, so please don't quit your jobs. You know, that's not my point here, okay? It means that my focus of money, my focus of materialism is not my main story. That's my side quest. If I don't get that beautiful condo that I really want, that's okay, because I still have Jesus. My side quest, if I don't get that beautiful girl, boy, whatever it is that you're longing for in your heart, that's okay. I still have Jesus. If I don't get certain things I want in my life, that's okay, because I still have Jesus. That's the fight we are in the fight to keep Jesus as your main story. Because at the end of this game, or at the end of this life, there is only two doors. The door to Jesus, and the door that does not lead to Jesus. And it's either you enter that door, or you don't. And my plea today is make Jesus your main story. Make Jesus your great reward. That I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back, no turning back. And my cross is before me, the world is behind me, no turning back. And this is the hardest part of the song to sing. Even though none will follow, no turning back, I will still go. I want you to sing, sing that song today as we close, that none will follow. Who knows? Maybe your loved ones don't follow you. Maybe your parents don't follow you. Maybe your children may not follow you. I still choose to follow Jesus. I will never give up. I will never give in. 
I will fight this good fight of my faith. I will train in godliness all the days of my life. And Jesus is my great reward. Hallelujah. Can I just invite everybody to stand? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing this song. And I want to sing this song with everything that we got. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, I pray in the name of Jesus. I pray that the spirit of revival is released in the name of Jesus. I pray, Father God, that we will make Jesus our main story today. I pray in the name of Jesus that all of us here, we will train in godliness. If the training is difficult, we will still train. If the training is long, we will still train because we need to train ourselves in godliness because it has value for all things. Father Lord Jesus Christ, I pray, Father God, that all of us here, we will fight the good fight for our faith. We don't, we're not here to fight our neighbours. We're not here to fight our spouse. We're not here to fight our family. We're not here to fight for our jobs, whatever it may be. But we're here in the great fight for our faith. Let us never lose our faith. Let us never lose our sight on what is the main story of our life. Our main story is Jesus Christ because I have decided to follow Him. Thank you, Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Don't go with me. Don't go with me.
Yes, God. You are our great reward. You are our exceedingly great reward. My contentment in this life comes only from you, solely from you, Lord Jesus, because you are my exceedingly great reward. So Father God, we will train in godliness. We will be content with whatever you have given us. Father God, we will fight the good fight for our faith, O oh Lord God, so that at the end of our life, we will see you again and you will say to us, well done, good and faithful servants of God. So I thank you, Lord Jesus, I pray, Father God, that if anyone of us here were discouraged of our faith, that we will walk out of here encouraged. If any one of us here were about to give up in our faith, I pray, Father God, that they will never give up. They will continue to soldier on, soldier on in this fight. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that from now on, Father God, in this church, Father God, there will be a training for godliness that will be unparalleled in our lifetime. So I thank you, God, that we bless you, God, we love you, God. We pray that your favor and your blessing would fall upon us and our loved ones and our family today. May the shalom of God rest in your homes. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a great weekend.